Good morning. Today is Monday, September 5th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. How do you listen to the show? Over the air on AM850, online at kfuo.org, or as a podcast? No matter how you connect, I'm glad you're here. Settle in, get ready to open your Bible. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about how they serve God's church over at lhfmissions.org. Now, if you have comments or questions about today's show, or maybe you just want to say hello, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Be sure to spell my name right. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Yesterday in chapter 14, St. Paul spoke of protecting our fellow Christians from stumbling. He wrote, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. He ended the chapter concluding, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Today, we turn the page in Romans to chapter 15, the first 13 verses, where the apostle continues this same line of teaching. But now, he anchors our responsibility to our fellow believers in Christ's word and deed. Now, to help us discover God's message for us today, I'm pleased to welcome to the show regular guest, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor Shank, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on. It's always uh, it's always nice to to be in God's Word. We have uh, we have a text that will challenge us today a bit on understanding a proper proper application for us today as we're dealing with our brothers and sisters in Christ within the church and what does it mean to to be church? What does it mean to have fellowship with each other? So yes, it's always good to to speak on how how can we love each other as Christ has loved us. Yeah, as as Christians who are brought together in community by God, we're always struggling with how to interact with one another. The reasons are not the least of which because we're all sinners. Uh, And we're all tempted, but at the same time, we have this responsibility that Paul has been laying out. Now, I do want to note, though, for the listeners that I called you a regular guest. You have been on for quite a while on this show. Many hosts that you've uh, had the pleasure of interacting with, but you're brand new to me. So if you don't mind, (laughs) I'd like to give you uh, just a, a few moments to share with us how God is working through you and through your congregation there in Edwardsville. Sure. Yeah, I am uh, the senior pastor. We have uh, uh, an associate pastor with us as well, uh, Pastor Jess Bierman. That name should sound familiar to you. That is uh, Dr. Bierman's son, and he's uh, studying for his doctorate as as well. Um, and uh, we we are blessed to have a, a big staff uh, because we have a school. So we're uh, a wonderful ministry that has a, a school, preschool, a daycare. Um, we have a local university. Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville. So we have campus ministry there um, and uh, LCMSU uh, uh, chapter at uh, SIUE. It's always uh, hard to get all the letters out. Um, We also have a Lutheran high school in town. 
so yeah, the Lord has truly um, blessed us uh, in this. Uh, our current challenge is um, trying to find all the places to put all the kids because we're in one of those other cycles. You know, we've had ups and downs and sideways <laughs> this way and that way. Um, but right now we're on that stream of, of upward um, number of kids. So we're um, beyond 200 in K to eight and a very uh, large class in preschool. So we're kind of running out of room. So kind of navigating how that goes. So, um, and we just had uh, in August, uh, we had uh, President Bull uh, from Concordia, Nebraska come and he had a great discussion about different schools and different structures of schools and his understanding of uh, Concordia, Nebraska, which was a critical mass. And, and that had a lot to say to us about our growth and kind of navigating, making sure that we're um, keeping with who we are as, uh, as Lutherans and keeping in our confession and making sure that our, our own members aren't lost uh, with this influx of students. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing. Yeah, on the surface, it definitely sounds like a good problem to have, but problems are still problems, and there's a lot of challenges to navigate. But thanks be to God for your increasing enrollment, and yeah, your desire to continue to reach out to your own people, of course. Amen to that. Yeah, there's always, uh, there's always a, like you said, a challenge, but uh, what a blessing. Um, you know, we definitely feel uh, a little like the disciples with the nets overflowing, and now it's like, okay, as a congregation, we need to be very um, uh, intentional about caring for all these families, getting to know them, uh, making sure that they're welcomed into our church and um, starting new new member classes and things like that too. Well, before we dive into our text today, would you mind beginning with a word of prayer? Yes, please. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we uh, are entering into the very word, the word that you have spoken, the word that uh, here edifies and encourages and guides us into all truth, be with us and your Holy Spirit uh, and guide the words for which we speak so that in these things, in our study, we, we may know what true love is. For your Son has given us that example of faithfulness and love, that he did not love himself, but he loved us. He endured the cross so that we may be built up in him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Our text for this morning is going to be Romans chapter 15, the first 13 verses. I'll go ahead and read there from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now that's through verse 7. I think, Pastor, that's plenty for us to get started on. At the very beginning, he says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. 
This seems to be a continuation of what he's been saying in the previous chapter. Do you kind of want to give us some context before we really get into the verses for today? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that's uh, absolutely necessary. Sometimes, you know, as we're going through our Bible and and uh, prayerfully, I, I hope that our, our listeners are are doing this on their own. They're maybe uh, feeling like you know a chapter a day or whatever is a good way to get through, and it can might can be a great way to get through scriptures. But um, there are times where the chapter uh, divisions really get in the way. Um, and this is one in which it doesn't seem like the chapter division is is really helping us because it seems like a, um, you know, often in our minds, we hit a chapter division. We think that there's obviously going to be a big break, you know, kind of going through a no a whole new doorway. Um, but really, this is the same the same instruction that he has been going through. So in chapter 14, as you uh, talked about before, they were talking, Paul was talking about things like food. Uh, what what a person can eat and what um, what they uh, view as as clean and as um, acceptable to be to be eaten um, to and to be drunk too um, and then also things uh, like worship you know what days uh, should be commemorated what days should be um, held to um, and so like new moons and Sabbaths you know when you go through the Old Testament. There are there are many instructions on again what should be eaten, what should be abstained from, um, what times should we be fasting, uh, what feasts and festivals should be kept, um, what kind of um, uh, Sabbath uh, observance should we be holding to, and, and now the word of God is going out, and as the word of God is going out, we we have a a, a mixture, right? We have a mixture of both um, Hebrew nationality, um, the race of of people, the Jewish people here in Rome, because Paul hasn't Paul hasn't made it there. Um, he has plans. His plans might be different than what's going to actually happen of how he's going to get there, uh, but he's. He's writing to them who now have both uh, Jews and Gentiles, and how are they going to interact? And, and not not only just that hard division of of Jews and Gentiles, though that's going to be the major reality. But I'm sure within that group, um, because Paul talks about himself being one who is strong. He's he's um, Hebrew by uh, by his uh, um, you know genealogy, right? So. Um, Within the group, you might have some that understand the grace of God and and fully um, have brought by by the working of the Holy Spirit to see the freedom that they have. That Christ has actually made things clean. His death has had an effect on our lives and our individual lives and the the fulfillment of of those of those laws uh, that were clearly in place and what Christ has done. Um, and and yet now we have. Um, Gentiles who maybe had been proselytes and had been living um, under the the code of Jewish law of the old covenant, and now are being brought into the new. So we've got to navigate all of this. You know, we hear about a lot of that in the book of Acts and the Acts fifteen, and what should they do? Should they submit to be circumcised, or um, what do they need to observe? Um, and we've got that wonderful text to to help us navigate a lot of these things too. Yes, he sets up, even beginning with verse 14, the very first verse says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. He seems to be putting people into these two categories, the weak and the strong. And the strong are those who have recognized that in faith, through Christ, 
they no longer have to strive to keep this, or they never really did, have to strive to keep for, to perfection the law of God so as to earn salvation. But now the strength comes from their faith in recognizing that Christ has freed them from the law that leads to death. Now, it says we who are strong. He puts himself in that category, doesn't he? He says we who are strong have this obligation. And in a minute, he's going to add Christ as one of the strong ones, one who didn't please himself but 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 did things in accordance to help others. So, you know, tell us a little bit, you know, are we supposed to kind of walk around church looking at, well, that person's weak, that person's weak, this person's strong, I'm strong. <laughs> you know, how does this apply to the way we are supposed to live our lives out right now? You know, it's great to hear that Paul's teaching these these brothers and sisters that they are to have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. But how does this weaker brother stuff come into play today? Yeah. Isn't this something? I mean, the words that Paul uses, um, you really have to slow down because it would be very easy for us to to fall into that. And I'm, I know that we do. I know that we do fall into that and say, well, you know, thanks be to God, I'm not like this. You know, it's very pharisaical, right? I'm not like this person. I'm not like the publican. Uh, I'm not like the tax collector. Thank you, Lord. You know, and it's like, wait a second. Right. That, that would actually put you in the category of, of the weak, not the strong, right? So we have the, you know, we who are weak, or we're, sorry, we who are strong, are the ones who are strong are actually the ones who are weak, but actually confess it right? and see that their strength is only in Jesus, is only in the Lord. And only in him am I forgiven. Only in him am I righteous. Only in him am I holy. But in him I am. I have the righteousness of Christ. Well, how? how? Because I was baptized into him. He placed his name on me. He clothed me. I have been clothed in Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ, right? So we have the same um, doctrinal instruction that's been going from the very beginning. You know, we had the strong instruction from chapter three, chapter eight. Now it's being, now how are we going to live in this instruction that the righteous um, are the ones who live by faith? Well, those are the ones who are strong because they understand their personal weakness. The ones who are weak think that they, um, that think, think, think they, they can do it and they're strong. They're strong enough to uh, fulfill the law and be righteous by their own actions, and maybe even are struggling on what things will make me righteous or what things I have to abstain from. Because if I don't abstain from this, um, now, again, we're talking about food and drink. <laughs> I guess that's always the corrective too. We're not talking about any kind of um, clear moral uh, violation of the moral law. We're talking about, you know, food and drink. So there are some who are thinking, if I don't eat this, I will be holy, right? Because of the old covenant. Uh, but now we are entering into the new where our righteousness is clearly on the fact of, of Christ abstaining from any benefit for himself to the point of laying down his life. So um, it definitely is an interesting word usage, as Paul always does, but we have to be careful um, that we're catching the the play on words there, right? That we're strong, but how are you strong? Right. Because we know our weaknesses. They are weak because they think they're so strong. And now we, who are strong, 
uh, have an obligation to bear, which definitely talks about love. And I know we have more to get into that, but we have an, there's an, you know, the, the, there's a sense that the strong ones are strong because they know their freedom in Christ, but because they're freed in Christ, they now know that they have an obligation. And, and that's, that's definitely something we talk about a lot as Lutheran Christians. Well, that obligation certainly brings to my mind the, a struggle that many American Christians have in particular, and certainly all Christians everywhere as we struggle with our sinful selves. But here in America especially, we have a very intense uh, infatuation, I would say, with our rights, our <laughs> congregational I mean, our <laughs> congregational, our constitutional rights. You know, perhaps our congregational rights too. Yeah, you know, that yeah. versus a member versus a non-member. Maybe I that was a good slip there. Yes. The point yeah. is, we have this focus on our rights, and less people misunderstand me. We certainly need to stand up for and defend our rights, uh, rights that were given to us by God and protected by uh, our laws. But with that said. That idea of rights, especially when it comes to your relationship with your Christian neighbor, that's not really the language of the Bible, is it? No, not at all. Yeah, you know, these are things that we need to set aside. The only times that we fight for our rights is that when our rights um, would affect the needs of my neighbor— so I need to fight for the right to, to do exactly what we're doing right now, which is the freedom of speech— the exercise of our religious beliefs, not because I have this individual need to speak my mind and get on the radio or whatever, um, but my neighbor needs to hear the gospel. Um, when it's my right to eat uh, a BLT um, or whatever it is, right. um, then I can set that all aside. Um, why? Because we're inviting some neighbors in from our international ministry. We have, we're blessed to have a, a really great worker in our in our district, uh, Bessie Fick. I'll give her a shout out. She does a great job with international students and she'll invite them in and they'll come to a, you know, a, an Advent or a Lenten dinner. Well, probably shouldn't have BLTs and because they might be someone that's um, that's Muslim. Right. So we and I know in this text, we have to be careful. I'm not going to try to uh, change what it's actually saying, because it's talking about that inner relation within the church body. Now I'm, I'm kind of conflating it because I'm talking about outside. But I think it has something to say to that as well, that as we care for our neighbor inside the church, especially outside the church as well, that there are some times where we definitely should set aside any talk of, well, it's my right. I have the right to do this. Well, what rights did Christ have? Because he set those all aside uh, for our salvation. Well, let's remove the trouble. Let's assume that this Muslim person who visits the church, thanks be to God and the power of the Holy Spirit, comes to faith. However, because they're young in the faith, that is, because they, using Paul's language here, may be still weak in the faith, they still say, you know, I just can't bring myself to eat uh, pork products. I've heard it described from people who grow up with this understanding, this religious understanding or even cultural idea that, you know, pork is a disgusting, unclean food. They said to get your mind around what they think of when they think of eating pork would be, uh, and I apologize to any listeners who are eating right now, but they said that <laughs> it, it's akin to you thinking about eating cockroaches or insects. Right. And that visceral reaction you have to that, 
of course, lots of people eat lots of things, so maybe that's something you enjoy. But most people <laughs> will have a visceral reaction that says, oh, that's gross. That's the reaction they have. So even outside of following whatever religious tenet they may have been gr- grown up with, there is this idea that, that it's repugnant to them to eat that because of the way they were raised. And yeah. it appears that Paul's saying, you know, if we just go back into, and again, you said at the beginning perfectly, the this is one of those places where the chapter break is not very helpful. But dipping right back into Romans 14, not to, you know, repeat things said yesterday, but um, it says that, uh, pardon me, Paul says that it's it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble, but even more poignantly, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. So in that case, you know, here's this person, they're now in Christ, but they still feel perhaps a religious prohibition or at least a cultural prohibition from eating something. It would be inappropriate for us to then say, well, I have a right to eat these things because I'm free in Christ. That would be inappropriate, right, Pastor? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, you know, we can all, it's, it's kind of also speaks to the conscience, right? And and we, um, it, it's very unique. You know, our consciences are amazingly unique to us. And there are things that affect my conscience. Uh, I probably won't talk about them here on the radio, but um, that are unique to me. And I, I know it's not wrong to do this, but I'm not going to do it because it's just it feels wrong. I, I know it's not right. wrong. I, I, and I have no problem that other people do this. But to me, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I just, I just feel like this is, this isn't right. And then it's like, well, then just don't, I don't need to do it. I don't need to eat that. I don't need to drink this. I don't need to whatever. I, I, I'm not judging anyone. I, it's just weird. You know, our consciences are unique and uh, thanks be to God for them. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not saying my conscience is infallible. My conscience needs to be corrected and trained in scripture. Um, it's like that, uh, umpire that can get balls and strikes wrong. Right. And, uh, and as it's calling balls and strikes, uh, it definitely needs to be reminded what, what is the strike zone. And that's definitely the, the work of the, the, the word, right? The word needs to tell us what ultimately is, what is the is, what is righteous, what is good, what is true. Um, but there are times where it's like, I, I know I'm free to do this, but I can't, I, I just don't, I don't feel right. And so I think your analogy of saying, well, you know, they would feel dirty or grossed out with this. It, it shows that then there, that time, um, that person is not saying you're gross or you're dirty or you're disgusting for doing this. That's, that's a different right. discussion. As we continue to look in this chapter Verse 4, it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The for whatever was written in former days is hearkening back to the rules, regulations, the law of God, which had been set down by God for the benefit of the people. What does he mean here that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. How does the law, and Paul has, has talked a lot about the law so far in this letter, how does the law continue to be a good thing while at the same time, you know, pointing us toward Christ? Well, I think too, if I can bring, uh, I think verse three and verse four work together with that, that Christ uh, did not please himself. Yes, thank you. Right. And then with this, 
Now he, cause Christ bore the reproaches of those who approach you. They fell on me. So the approaches that were against God, his, his father, uh, against God, our heavenly father fell on Christ. Therefore, you know, these things that are written. So I would say, yes, there, it is about the, the law, but it's also about the narrative, right? So law as a, a more inclusive word uh, for all of maybe the Torah, the Pentateuch, because we can look to the patriarchs. How did, how did they have to endure? How did uh, Joseph endure the struggles of being unjustly burdened with his family, with his brothers? How did he deal with the unjustness of having to be burdened with imprisonment, um, with everything that was put on his shoulders? And yet he, um, he carried it uh, and he didn't in, enact revenge against the weakness of his brothers. Instead, he forgave them. He bore with them. Um, so we can find encouragement in a lot of uh, a lot of places. So that's one way. But maybe you can talk about how you were uh, thinking. I was thinking about the, the actual narrative also being an encouragement that we have uh, typology there that points us to how they lived. And then we have ultimately the example in Christ. No, that's exactly what I was thinking. Back in chapter four, he's talking about the faith of Abraham. And he says that it was counted to him, as God said, in terms of righteousness, were not written for his sake alone, meaning that the, 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 the scriptural witness of Abraham's situation was also for our own benefit. And naturally, when the, whenever the scriptures talk about the Bible being instruction, I can't help but think of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So it's not just the letter of the law, as you so eloquently pointed out. It's also the entire narrative, the revelation that God is working throughout history, through the law, through the gospel, through the sacrificial systems, leading up to Christ. And we see in Christ's life that he set aside what was rightfully his in order to bring us into the family of God. And when we imitate Christ, one way in which we imitate him is that we set aside that which might be ours by right, but if it's these insignificant things that could harm, especially a new believer, like uh, burgers, I call them bail burgers, right? This idea that in this in this culture, you might have gone to a wedding or or some sort of event hosted, say, by your boss, and he's still a pagan, and you were a pagan. And you were brought up to understand that the food at these places were dedicated and, and sacrificed to gods. And Paul talks about this elsewhere, of course. And now whenever you see that, you just can't do it because you still have this association with Baal. And so Paul's saying, listen, I'll just quit eating. I'll never eat Baal burgers for the sake of my, my brother. And I, that's the same type of conversation that he's having here, that Christ comes and he sets aside himself for us then we certainly have areas in which we can set aside what is rightfully ours through our freedom found in Christ if it's for the benefit and the uh, building up of our neighbor. Yeah. it's a, when, um, when I was taking a look, kind of getting prepared uh, for, for our discussion, I was looking at uh, Luther's commentary, and he was, he's very strong on, on the Christ did not please himself. Um, and uh, that he, that that this is uh, the call to, to love, but 
and his call to love us uh, that that Christ despised himself. And I'm like, wow, that's a very strong, you know, Luther's always good at very strong words that he hated himself. But if you understand all that Christ had to endure, that he, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, if you were to set your face to go to Jerusalem to bring somebody else to go through what Jesus had to go through, you'd say, well, you hate that person. You're bringing them to to get whipped and beaten and uh, mocked and spit upon and, and crucified. You must hate this person. Well, Jesus has done this to himself. He he desired to lay down his, his own life. Um, and, and it gives us a, a fuller picture then of what it is to be obligated with someone else that Luther talks about. If we really want to love someone else, you have to forget. You have to forget yourself. You have to lose yourself in that forgetfulness. What kind of needs do I have? And how do we do that? Because we already know. We already know that Christ has supplied. So it's not just, well, I'm just going to be Jesus. Well, no, you're not not Jesus. But um, what does our faith inform us about this? Well, it informs us that Christ has already fulfilled every need I have. If Christ has fulfilled every need that I have and he's got me, He's got me in his hand, of course. He's got he's got everything under control. He's got all authority belongs to him. Then why do I even have to think about him? I don't have to even think about him. Christ is already thinking of me. So what can I use my mind for? I can use my mind, my thoughts about my neighbor. What does my neighbor need of me? And that, that totally frees us. We're totally set free to love our neighbor um, because, because we are holding to the fact that Christ has already answered everything I ever would need. We serve God by serving our neighbor. This seems like a good place to take a pause. Dear listener, don't go anywhere. In just a few moments when we return from our break, Pastor Shank and I will continue our discussion of Romans chapter 15. See you on the other side. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor, before the break, we were talking about how we are free to serve God by serving our neighbor. In these last verses, before we get into the next section, um, it's really important for Paul to communicate the life of the Christian community is one of encouragement, uh, harmony. Verse 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So he's setting up this idea that we with one voice glorify God, 
that our harmony with one another is for the glory of God, including our ability to welcome one another. The scriptures speak very clearly about how God wants our Christian communities to behave. Yeah, it's very, it's very offensive. It's offensive even to the unbelieving world to have a congregation that's in discord. They look at that and they're like, why would I ever want to be a part of that? Why do I want to be a part? You know, I've got enough divisions at my workplace. I've got divisions in our country. I've got divisions all over the place, maybe even their own, in their own home. I don't need it. Um, so it is amazingly offensive that when we as, as Christians can't, um, can't speak in one voice, can't worship together, you know, I'm going to go to this service because I know this guy goes to that service or whatever, that we can't praise God together. So yeah, the unity of the body of Christ, which is always going to be true, but we want it to be manifested in our lives. This is true. It's an eternal truth that Christ has brought us together and had us made us one in Christ. We are one. Now we want the world, um, we want the world to see and our outward actions, what is true um, in, in, by, in and by Christ through his um, great atoning uh, and reconciling work. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is amazingly offensive to, to the gospel when we're not living in the unity which has been given to us as a gift. So, um, but when we do, when we're willing to love, which is, um, an, it talks about as an obligation, what it, it calls for is sacrifice, that, that love actually costs something of you. I mean, we love to love when it's just, you know, just words or just a feeling. I love you with my feelings. Um, but when it's when it costs something, man, that, that I think that's a that is that is a church that's different than what the world has experienced. The point you bring out is so poignant that our world is so divided and really it kind of always has been. Yeah. And if you go to church, the last thing you want to see especially if you're new to the faith or even if you're a, a long-standing member, the last thing you want to see is people at enmity with one another, people arguing over the silliest little things. And I especially appreciate that you brought out that our unity is already a thing. It's already been uh, established because of the faith that God give, gave us in Christ. He's gathered us together because we're already unified. But in our sinfulness, in our old selves, rearing its ugly head, we don't always act like we're unified, even though we are through Christ. So yeah, what an important message. And this isn't the first time that Paul has brought it up either. In Romans chapter 12, just a few chapters ago, he says, live in harmony with one another. And there, he's not necessarily talking about just fellow Christians, but he's saying, even those who you think aren't worthy of, of your friendship— you know, don't be haughty. He says, associate with the lowly. Don't think you're wise in your own sight. It, this humility, this humbleness, and encouragement of one another leads to harmony. And I think churches definitely could practice that more often. I know that we fellow, we pastors could do that. You know, behind the scenes, we're not always in harmony with one another the way we could be. And so this reliance upon Christ for forgiveness and daily seeking after his will. Yeah, that's important for every Christian, regardless of your vocation. Yeah, because it talks about how, you know, how how Christ has welcomed you, right? How did Christ welcome you? Um, and if we really reflect upon that, you know, that gives us a lot to chew on in, in our day. You know, how did Christ welcome me? 
really welcome me, not by making me jump through some hoops or making me get myself cleaned up and right before he welcomed me. He ran after me. <laughs> he clothed me. He restored me. He celebrated the the fact of his grace, um, his grace that he gave to me. And we celebrate that every time we gather together together. So um, yeah, how did he welcome you? Okay, now how should we welcome each other? It's It's definitely... Um, it definitely is a challenge, a challenge to the hospitality of the church. So let's add in the rest of our section for today, just so we can, and we can, doesn't mean we have to move on. We can continue to bring all of this out. So starting with verse eight, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So brother, it seems like he's, he's starting to talk more about the Gentiles and the Jews and their relationship with one another. I, has, he hasn't moved on from this issue. It continues to be prominent throughout the book of Romans, but yeah, it kind of is popping in here out of nowhere. Yeah, if you, uh, one of the commentaries I was looking at, the Concordia commentary, it, it talks about uh, verse 7 um, a lot um, as a transitional. It's, they call it a, a hinge verse, and they, they listed out uh, a number of hinge verses. So if uh, people were following along uh, throughout your study through the book of Romans, they saw that there were a number of hinge verses that really um, reflect going back. So we definitely notice how verse 7 helps us understand all that came before, even in, into back into chapter 14, you know, where it says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you uh, for the glory of God. But then this also reflects forward. So it's not like you can, you know, one of the struggles of trying to put things into paragraphs and chapters and whatever, how are you going to handle this verse? Well, really, it's a hinge. It goes backwards and forward. So then it helps us understand the next section as well, where Christ, who welcomed us, Okay, well, how does that help us understand this? Well, uh, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So Christ um, didn't reject them, but welcomed them. He came to them uh, as one of them. Uh, so yeah, just because they're, we are, we're struggling with the weakness of those who think they're righteous because they're circumcised. By an outward action, um, we we are we we need to bear with that. We need to bear with them as they're being brought in to Christ, who is their circumcision, who is their righteousness, who performs the circumcision not made by human hands, but one upon their very hearts in the waters of their baptism. There he circumcises our hearts um, by by putting his mark on us fully and completely. That he he is the promised one. Um, so uh, as he has welcomed them, uh, now we need to live in this. So Christ hasn't rejected uh, the, 
quote, the, the circumcised. He has rejected his people. Um, he is bringing, he is bringing them. He came to them to bring them into his grace and mercy. When he says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, and then he gives all of these quotes about how the Gentiles you know, were part of God's plan from the beginning, um, is, the, is the welcoming being done by the Gentiles for the Jews who still cling to some of the old law, the ceremonial laws, for instance, or is the welcoming being done by the Jews who are uh, now having to contend with formerly pagan Gentiles who don't really look and act as even Jewish believers would, much less Christian believers? Now, I know the answer is both, but what do you think? <laughs> Who's the primary audience of, of who Paul is encouraging here for, you know, hey, you know, you need to be nice to your fellow Christians as they acclimate to what it looks like to be a Christian? So I'm going to go with answer C, which is <laughs> of that, course, because you're Lutheran. That, that Christ, that Christ is the one who is welcoming both groups, right? So it's not it's not that the Gentiles are welcoming the Jews or the Jews are welcoming the Gentiles. Christ welcomes us, you, you all, y'all, the the Texas you, right? He's welcoming y'all into Himself. So not one group. But as we, and the Gentiles have to recognize this very much throughout, you, you've had to deal with this throughout, it's not um, excluding the, re, the reality of how, how and into what, into his family. Well, who were called into the family first? Well, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Israel. So we're not being uh, welcomed into something different, but we're being welcomed into the family. So the Gentiles need to... I saying pay respects is the wrong term. I'm trying to think of a different understand the economy of God, right? right. In the economy of God, he um, had a people, and now you're being grafted into that people. You're being brought in to be the the church. And the, as the church has always been in existence, as we've heard from Genesis 3.15, that the promise would happen. You know, this is the promise, and this is how God is going to do it. Um, and he has done it through his son. And so that son who has done it now is the one who is willing to proclaim the name, the name of God to the Gentiles. So Jesus is the one that continues to do the welcoming. Okay, so I know that you're a faithful Lutheran pastor, so I have to be tricky and very specific in the way I ask this, all right? So verse 8 then, verse 8 says... For I tell you that Christ, all right, the answer can't be Christ, I'm sorry. For I tell you, who's the you? Jews, okay. Gentiles? So, um, yeah. So, <laughs> but then he puts himself in verse, in in the verse 15, verse 1, right? I, I would, I would, he says, I tell you, but then if 15, 1 is we who are strong, having an obligation to bear with the failings with the weak. So he puts himself in the we, is he putting himself into the you? Because um, he's connecting himself at the beginning with it. I I, I do think, you know, I, I have, of, cor of course, I, I, I have to, I would have to say he is talking to the, um, to the Gentiles, but he's not excluding. So we see oh, what, sure. we see what happens when, um, when there is, when there is church, 
the, the dividing lines start to fade away. And that's the point, right? Who are we talking about? Well, Paul puts him in himself in the we who are strong, which the, the chapter before seemed like he was talking about the Gentiles. So is Paul a Gentile? Well, no, he's not a Gentile. Um, he has just been one who has been brought to, to see uh, the fullness of God's grace. Yeah, the for I tell you definitely seems he is speaking in continuation of what he said in 15.1 to those who are strong. Mm-hmm. But the broader definition, as you've already brought out, is that those who are strong are those who recognize they are weak, recognize that they are freed in Christ to not be obligated to observe you know, certain ceremonial types of things when it comes to for food and drink, for instance, but at the same time have a responsibility to those who are, say, weak, and that is still feel like they have to be strong and continue these things that aren't necessary for salvation. I just think it's interesting, and thank you for being a good sport. I just think yeah. it's interesting because he does seem to be making this argument about, again, once again, about the necessity of understanding the Gentiles' place in the family, as I think you said earlier. Well, can, so, I, can I confuse it one more time? Because no, it seems, yeah, seems like... I mean, it yes. seems, <laughs> no, you can't. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> no, you can't. Next, <laughs> next question. No more questions. No more questions. Um, that it seems like we might not fall in one category all the time. Oh, of course. So look at Peter, right? Peter was eating with the Gentiles until he didn't want to be seen eating. So he was strong. He was the we for a minute. And then Paul had to be like, hey, you know, what's going on, man? Right? What's going on? What what, what, are you, what are you doing? You you can't fulfill this. You can't do this. Why, why are you putting a burden on them? So it seems like um, part of that, the strong reality is to understand how quickly we become weak. Right? What we, a good, right? I was just going to say, what a good reminder. You know, it really is. Life is a spectrum. You know, we, we don't always in the same spot. And as we ebb and flow throughout our lives and we, of course, at the same time, saint and sinners, as we Lutherans famously like to cite, and you get extra points if you say it in Latin. But the reality is that, you know, we're always dependent upon Christ's forgiveness, regardless of how strong we think we are or weak. And we also have this duty to serve our neighbors with good works, regardless of the fact that good works aren't required for salvation. So there's this, uh, there's this tension, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that tension runs throughout, right? That we're we're struggling uh, with not trying to fall off on e- on either side here, and, and we're struggling to not bring this category into matters that we shouldn't bring it. You know, we're we're not saying that the weak um, should be allowed to uh, practice uh, outward uh, manifestations of fr- flesh without any confrontation, without us saying no. Um, let's use an example. No, leaving your family is is not good, and we shouldn't bear in that weakness without telling you that this is not right and it's not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for your relationship, your trust in Christ. So um, we don't take this category of what's being talked about, which is kind of a unique one because it was called for in the Old Testament. That's why they're struggling with it. It's not like in the Old Covenant they could go, well, maybe I can have pork. No, no it's clear. You, you shall not. You shall not. Um, that's not what made them righteous, not what made them holy, but it did set them apart as a unique people of God. Now, God's people are set apart uniquely because of the cross, 
now they're under the cross. They're still going to be set apart. They're going to be unique. But the uniqueness is not just what they eat. Well, I was going to say not what they eat, but it is what they eat. Because you eat and drink the body and blood of the Lord. You you come to commune with Christ who died for you. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely a, a tension that we have to live in. But the, the moment, the moment that someone says, um, you must do this. You have to do this in order to be uh, saved, to be a Christian. Then our the call for us to bear with the weak turns a bit to say, no, um, actually, you are now working to destroy the gospel. You're working to destroy God's grace. I'm going to bear with you. I'll, I'll abstain with you. But you have to understand that this is not because I believe that by it I'm saved. So, uh, you know, it's the whole Acts uh, 529 moment where we're going, we're going to obey God rather than man if you want to make it an obligation or the Timothy and Titus struggle that Paul uh, had to endure when it was uh, out of the freedom of the gospel or out of the uh, call to do it because you are bound to by the law. And he had different answers. It's very interesting to me when we think of the Old Testament people, and they were called to be a priesthood of people. But what do priests do? Well, as an entire people, not just the Levitical class, but they were all to be priests to the nations, to call other nations to Christ. Psalm 117 says, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. Of course, when I say Christ, I mean the Messiah who was promised, and we have faith in the Messiah who has come. So it's always been the purpose of God gathering his people and setting them apart so that others can join. It's it's a set-apart, holy, exclusive club of people that's always open to anyone who wants to join it. It's, it's a contradiction in and of itself. And the church today is set apart by God, just as you said, through the cross of Christ. But the narrow door is wide open. It's wide open. And we continue to proclaim that God desires all people to be saved. So whereas in Paul's day, there is this significant issue amongst the believers about the relationship of Gentiles to the promise and how Gentiles and Jews should interact with each other. Today, where do you think that, what do you think that looks like in our church today? You know, it's not Jews and Gentiles anymore. It's it's not even, and it's not reversed. I don't think. Maybe, maybe you think it is. Uh, but how do you see this same specific issue that Paul was facing? How do you see it playing out in our congregations today? Who are we, perhaps, not being effective witnesses to, or suspicious of, to the point where we need an admonition from God that says, "No, they're included in the promise too." So yeah, I think depending on your congregation, right? So we have a lot of members of our area moving to Tennessee or uh, Kentucky or wherever. If you're planning a church there, that's Bible Belt. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a very Baptist area. If you're going to go there and say, well, we're going to roll out the barrel, you're, you're going to be seen as a heathen. You're a heathen. What, what are you doing drinking and you know having some Budweiser? But if you go over to... St. Louis, and you're over at the seminary, and you have Gamulakite, what are you going to probably have there? So you, uh, when you ask, what is that? I, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what it be for you, but you have to look, what are my neighbor's needs? And, and so I give one example where it's like, well, you, you know, uh, for us in our church, we definitely have people from all over the, 
the globe coming because they're coming to a university. And when they come, I am definitely thinking, oh boy, what are we serving at this meal? Do they have anything here to eat? At a different church, um, like I said, if you're living in different areas, maybe you have a lot of Baptist friends who don't drink or, or are really confused why you do. And so there might be times where you, you just have you just have some sweet tea, right? We can set aside these things. We can crucify them to Jesus. They really they really mean nothing to us because we have a greater hope, and our hope is in Christ, and that that fills us with so much joy that He loved us so much. I mean, what what is this that I could sacrifice? What having a certain kind of meal today or a certain kind of drink today? He He laid down His life. <laughs> He was willing to lay down his life for me. Uh, my sacrifices are so small. For clarity, dear listener, when our pastor guest says that we can crucify them to Jesus, he means our divisions, not the Baptists. And so <laughs> I say that I say that as a former Baptist. Yeah. If you've been tuning in for any time now, recognize that I've mentioned several times, I have uh, not grown up Lutheran. I have this yeah. wonderful spiritual heritage that involves several different church bodies, and one of them has been sort of in this teetotaling Baptist area. And so I can give you a real-life example of what this looks like. When I graduated from a college, I was a Lutheran at this point, and I, at my graduation party, I wanted to have some beer, but some people in my family are in the teetotaling area of uh, thought when it comes to alcohol. And so then there's the dilemma. Do you, in your Christian freedom, have a beer anyway as a witness of the freedom that they too have if only they would claim it? Or do you, out of respect for their uh, misunderstanding of what pleases God, refrain because they're the weaker brother? We're called to obviously respect our weaker brother. If we were making that into a joke, we would say, well, I'll respect you as long as you admit you're the weaker brother. But that's certainly not the way to handle it either. So, yeah, I, I like that colorful language that you used about crucifying these things uh, to Jesus, with Jesus, because that's exactly what we need to remember. You know, you, you never want to sacrifice a relationship for the very shallow pleasure of being right about something that doesn't matter. Yeah, again, we t you did a great job of bringing up rights. What's it matter? You know, like you said, what does it matter to be right? <laughs> doesn't it matter more to love? What does it matter to be right? Doesn't it matter more to be merciful? What does it matter to be right? Doesn't it matter be more uh, to to show God's grace? And we can we can. That's the probably the biggest challenge. You asked what was the challenge to the church to actually be to live grace. Uh, to live grace for for each other, and um, you know it's it's so easy, so easy to look down, and it's so easy to forget. But our Lord welcomed me, <laughs> and I should not have been welcomed, and He welcomed me into His family, and He did it for you. And this is just uh, so you know that anything that we put in the in the way of someone else hearing that, it's just not worth it. It really isn't. Um, and we have lots of examples of how this could play out and what we could do. Um, but this is one of those texts that does challenge us um, to understand there's going to be different answers for every circumstance. Um, but the greatest call then is, how can I love? How can I love my neighbor?
Brother, we just have a few minutes left in the program. What are some things that we definitely need to take home? Uh, what do you want the listeners to know? Couch these things in gospel that they can also share with their neighbors. Sure. You know, when we when we look at this chapter, it is a chapter that that is talking about the Christian life. And maybe we don't talk about it enough. You know, we, we are very good on talking about lots of different doctrine. We're very good on talking, um, as we should, centering everything we do on, on Christ and his cross. Um, but now we need to every once in a while reflect on, okay, but now what, what does that mean for me today? What does it mean for me in my relationship to my neighbor? And here is a, is a strong word that talks about losing yourself. It talks about what that love looks like and a love that doesn't cost anything to you. You know, a love when I, when we just say we love our neighbor, but it doesn't cost anything. I think that's a great struggle for us in the church, a great struggle for us as this uh, whatever pseudo-American Christianity that we when we want to say we love each other, but we never do anything. We never sacrifice. We never put our lives out there. We never give any time. We never give of ourselves or our resources of our prayers. Man, uh, this text makes it clear that we are this obligation of love for each other, which has been one in Christ. Christ bought you. <laughs> he, he owns me. He purchased me with his blood. Now he calls me into a new life in him. Um, and, and the struggle of what does that life look like? It's not completely answered, but we see it in Christ. And now we need to live it in our lives. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor Shank, thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you. Nice to meet you. You too. And I'm also grateful to you, dear Christian, for listening to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. We will gather together around the scriptures again next time and continue our study of Paul's letter to the Romans. And we're almost done. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.